touch us this morning and give us what we stand in need of. We trust that he'll do that. I want you to be praying specifically for the man of God as he comes to stand this morning that the Lord would uh, touch him, all right? Brother Shane, if you will, you lead us this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be in the house of God. What a blessing it is, Lord, to have the health and strength to be here. And we appreciate your presence and your help, Lord, in each service. Lord, it's a, it's a wonderful thing this morning to be saved and on our way to heaven. Lord, to have a relationship with you. I pray that maybe, Lord, for that one that's lost and undone this morning needs salvation. I pray, God, that you would... Uh, deal with their heart and show them their need for a Savior. Lord, I pray for Miss Vernell. Uh, Lord, as she no doubt is declining in health, and I pray, God, you'd give them grace, Lord, in this time, uh, this season of their life, that you would comfort them, Lord, in a way that only you can. Lord, for Miss June, I pray, God, that you would comfort her, Lord, as well, in this season of life in which she is in. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help the family, give them grace. Lord, for all of our visitors, I pray you'd bless them. For those, Lord, that could be here but are not, I pray, God, you'd deal with their heart where they're at. Lord, for those that cannot be here but want to be so very badly, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them. Lord, we pray for Brother Gene and his health this morning. Pray, God, you'd touch for Brother David and Sister Geraldine. Lord, you know that the, 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 they need help and strength and encouragement like everyone else does. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that. Lord, this morning we're looking for you to move in our midst, Lord. We're not wanting a psychological pull. We're not wanting just a stirring in the flesh. But, Lord, I'm praying that you'd deal with hearts this morning. I pray you'd give us ears to hear what thus saith the Lord. I pray, God, you'd give us, uh, put a holy hush upon your people that we wouldn't be stirring about this morning. But, Lord, we'd be here uh, present and willing, Lord, to listen to what thus saith the Lord God, that it would make application in our life, that we would go out of this place this morning, Lord. Uh, better equipped than when we come in with a more earnest zeal, Lord, uh, than when we came in that we would go out into the highways and hedges, Father, and compel them, uh, Lord, to come in this place. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We give you all of the glory. Pray, Lord, you'd get the glory out of the song service that we would sing unto you. Uh, Lord, lift your name up, that name which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen and amen. All right, well, the Marvin's going to come and lead in song this morning, and uh, you sing to the Lord, all right? <clears throat> if you would, all those that can, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'd like you to turn to 116, He Leadeth Me.
Rose a melody sweet. 
without comfort or rest, marching down the rough pathway of time. May Jesus, your friend, ever the shadows grow dark, or accept the sweet peace so Stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, Thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the hosts of hell assail, and my strength begins to fail, now who never lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I do the best I can, and my friends misunderstand. Thou who knowest all about me, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden and I'm nearing Jerry Jordan, oh, the lily of the valley, stand by me. Yeah. I'm glad to be saved this morning on my way to heaven. Amen.
preaching. I love good singing. Good singing helps us get in uh, preparation for the uh, preaching hour, but it's preaching time right now. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I'm glad one day somebody preached a Bible message to me. I'm glad the word of God convicted my heart, brought me to the end of myself and showed me my need for a savior, got saved, born again on my way to heaven, and it's been saving me from a lot of trouble ever since. So the word of God will save you uh, show you your need for a Savior, but it'll, it'll also save you from a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of trouble, and a lot of woes if you'll listen and, and follow what God's Word has to say to you. All right, preacher, you come. Looking forward to hearing you bring the message. You give you good attention to Brother Hensley. You pray for him as he comes uh, and brings the message this morning. All right? Preacher, you take as much time as you need. I don't get often told that. 
One preacher said there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure I have had people feel that way. I want to say I appreciate the uh, opportunity to meet you. Uh, you've been supporting us for a little while, and we appreciate that very much. And um, I'd like to, since we didn't get the opportunity to present our work to you, um, I'd like to take just a minute or two to do that and kind of tell you what we're doing. Uh, let me, I guess I need to turn this thing on. Just hold it till it turns green. There you go. Is it on? There you go. All right. He told me if I run out of something to preach, his sermons was in here and it just kick on. So hopefully that'll work. Amen. All right. I am. My name is Steve Hensley. Don't mean a thing to anybody much, but uh, I was saved uh, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, 1963, January the first. I was the New Year's baby that year. And uh, my mother got a uh, silver spoon and some silver cup and some a supply of milk, and that's about as famous as I ever was. And uh, I grew up in the 60s. My mother was a 60s hippie. She lived as a hippie and raised us as hippies. And um, I fell in love with rock and roll music and that lifestyle. And my whole life, all I ever wanted to do was play in a rock and roll band. And, um, and I achieved that and uh, played in three or four rock and roll bands. And my life was just upside down. I'd never been in church, never been around church, um, never heard the gospel probably maybe three or four times in my life. And that was just times where somebody got me to go to church and I, I, did, I heard it, but I didn't hear it. And um, when I was 17 years old, my mother asked me to come down to the little store that she worked at to meet a girl. And so this girl worked in the back, and uh, I went in the store, rode my bicycle down to the store, and went through the front door, and I met a little blonde-headed girl in the front. And uh, she's sitting right back there, and I never met the girl in the back. I don't know who she is, but I know I met that girl, and I knew right then that she would be my wife someday, and uh, when we were 18, she got saved. She was at Mount Pisgah Baptist Church where she grew up. And Brother Milford Ely was preaching and she got born again. And uh, her life changed and uh, I, mine did not. And I did not get saved. And uh, she, I talked her into marrying me anyway. She married me out. You were uh, teaching this morning on um, the wife being saved, the husband not being saved. And for 11 years... Of her life, she was very miserable because I was a lost man. I lived like a lost man, and I expected her to live like a lost woman when she was saved. And uh, But she kept on loving the Lord. She kept on trying to get me to church. She would drag me to church at times, and I'd get there, and I wasn't happy. Uh, but God was using all that to get the Word of God in me, and I know that now. Um, but when I was 29 years old, I took a job at a place... Uh, where, well, let me say this, uh, Mount Pisgah Baptist Church had several men that loved me enough to come by and tell me that I needed to be saved. One of those men was a little short preacher named H.B. Carney. Anybody know him? 
He runs the print shop at Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. H.B. said that he was so scared of me that he would drive around the block three times before he'd come knock on my door. But he'd come and tell me anyway that the Lord loved me and that I needed to be saved. And, uh, and of course, I did, I did, he annoyed me as much as he was scared of me. He annoyed me by doing that. But he was getting the gospel uh, to me, and I appreciate that very much. I then went to work at a little place in Clinton, Tennessee, and uh, there was a little short preacher there named uh, Doug Brown. Doug Brown came by my workstation every single day for three years and told me that Jesus loved me. And smiled, the whole place could be falling apart, he'd be singing and smiling and telling people about Jesus. One night, May 9th, 1992, I just turned 29 years old spiritually this month. I was, I'm saved as many years as I was lost. And um, he left me a cassette tape. Some of you young people don't know what that is, but we had cassette tapes in that day. On one side was singing, which I didn't mind listening to. On the other side was preaching, and it tore me up. And I'd had enough witness in me and the gospel given to me that about midnight that night, I got found myself on an old concrete floor, repenting and asking the Lord to save me. Amen. And He changed me that day. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The Bible tells me, if you get saved, you get changed. And he changed me. He changed me so much, I called my wife at midnight on Friday night and said, I'm not sure what all happened to me just now, but we're going to church on Sunday. I think she passed out on the other side. It got really quiet and because uh, I'd ne- never been my idea to go to church. And went to church, got my first Bible. A month later, got the mission conference, got called to preach. And, uh, and that started my service for the Lord. I pastored uh, for 21, 22 years in Tennessee. I started a little church in Spring City, which is the church he referred to uh, there. Uh, and at the time I started it, there was no other good churches around. There were a lot of family-owned and operated churches, but nothing that was ran according to the Bible. And so we started that church, and, and I love them people. But God, all of a sudden, just, uh, he took the burden away. I, I can't tell you why, but I knew he was going to move me somewhere. I was teaching college in Georgia, and Calhoun, Georgia, two-hour trip there and back. And I thought God might put me in a church close to, to where I was teaching in college, uh, but I got a phone call from a place in Idaho. It said, come out and preach for us. We'll preach you a week and fly you out here. And so I went out there and I looked at that little church and, and the Lord smote our hearts about that little church. I left a, a church of 100 and went to a church of 17. And God just really showed us that that's where we needed to be. And I'll say this to you. God sealed it with another little preacher that it was in Oregon who decided to take me on the, on the next to the last day and show me all the little towns around that did not have independent Baptist churches in them. And we went through ten towns right around us that did not have the gospel uh, in those towns. And God showed me that not only did he want me to come out there 
and pastor that little work, but he wanted me to plant churches around that area. And so we're not just a pastor, but we're a church planner, and God is blessing that work. Amen. Now, it is slow out there. It is very slow. We've been there three years. We've not accomplished that first plant yet. We're working on it, but we haven't, we haven't accomplished that. But God is blessing, and I'll, I'll share with you how God is blessing. Number one, God has allowed us to keep our support, even through COVID. Uh, we've got, uh, we got what we need in support. We, we could always use more, but we're, we're surviving out there. Of course, everything's went higher. Everything's cost more to live out there than it ever has. But, but God's blessing in that. God's allowed churches like yourself to take us on without ever meeting us and, uh, and just get that burden to help us. Let me, let me give you something else. There's only... Honest, the town that I said I started a church in now has eight independent Baptist churches in a town of 2,000. Idaho has 1.7 million people in it. And, and I'm being liberal when I say there's probably only 15 independent Baptist churches in the whole state. And so the gospel is not being brought to the West, and there's reasons for that. We know what those reasons are. It was cut off, and and uh, the, the the gospel just didn't make it out West. And so that that's where we're at. Idaho's that way. Montana's that way. Wyoming's that way. South Dakota, North Dakota, um, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Nevada. It's all that way. And so there's no churches out there, and there's nobody going. And nobody has the, the pioneer spirit to, to do something for the Lord and just say, Lord, here I am. I didn't know how to do that. I just said, Lord, if you want me to go to Idaho, I'll pack up and go. We sold our house and we packed up and we went to Idaho at 50. I'm 58 now, so at 55 when I went out there. And I didn't know if God could use an old man, but he, he tried uh, and he's trying now to use an old man. If I quit getting sick and crippled, he'd, he'd use me better. Uh, but God is, has got us there. Now, I'll tell you some exciting things. God has sent me a, a, a right-hand man in my crew. I don't know if anybody knows my crew, but Mike served in uh, Australia for 28 years as a church planner. He is now out there with me, bought a house, and he's living there. He's on support, and he's going to help us with the church plants. Uh, I've got a man out of Mississippi coming named Joe Simmons. Joe Simmons is a single man right now. He's looking for a wife. If anybody's interested, he's he's a, a Mississippi hillbilly. He's coming out there to help us. He's uh, about to buy himself a camper and move out there and live in that camper and help us to plant churches. Uh, and we're going to use him and those ten little towns that I talked about uh, as preaching stations, so we can get him on Sundays go up preaching those towns where they'll have the gospel there. It may not be a church plant at the start, but at least the gospel will be there uh, in those towns. And so we're going to use him for that. Then I got a call while we were uh, over in Oregon preaching at an Indian reservation. And uh, this uh, family that I had met, I knew their, their moms and dads and went to school with them. And uh, he's not a preacher, but he said, my family's moving to Idaho. We're going to move there with you, and uh, we'll help you in any way we can help you and just join the church there and be a part of it. 
and uh, I met with him while I was here, and they're going to help us run the youth program and uh, bus ministry and start getting young people in there and, and uh, getting the church to grow. And so he's going to help us with that and with the church plants. And so God is moving people out there. I didn't do it. I didn't even know he was, I didn't know him. And uh, now he's moving out there. So God's good, is he not? And so everything that you give goes to that work. We've seen people uh, saved in the church since we've been out there. We didn't have a piano player when we came. And uh, she came back to the Lord, or she came back to the church and started playing the piano. And then one one, uh, Sunday morning, she grabbed my wife, they went to the nursery, and she got saved. So it's better to have a saved piano player, amen? amen. And so she's saved now, and she's married, and, and uh, so we've got some young people there. We've probably got 15, 16 young people in the church, and then uh, older people. We're running 35 to 40 now, uh, started with 17. So God's building that work, along with building uh, the opportunity to plant some churches uh, in the area. So... Uh, if you'll be patient with us, we're working on it. Uh, of course, I had knee replacement surgery. I usually preach all over the place, but I, I probably stay up here today. It takes me too long to get back up here. But uh, I've had knee replacement surgery, and then right as I was recovering from that, I got COVID and was in the hospital for four days. Uh, I had just preached a, a, a revival meeting in Oregon at an Indian reservation, two people saved. And the Lord really blessed in that, and by the time we got back, I I was in the hospital, and my wife got COVID too. We're not contagious now, uh, but but we uh, we got then got here, and my good friend David Carroll, uh, that we've been friends for a lot of years, uh, he got COVID, went in the hospital, and died, and we preached his funeral here uh, the other day, and and so such. Such a sad, sad thing. And uh, I've not recovered uh, from the weakness of COVID. I'm still very weak and uh, give out easy. And so I've just now started where I'm standing and preaching. I've been sitting and doing that. So, But anyway, that's enough about me. I just want to tell you what God is doing in our lives. And, and God is doing through you by supporting us uh, as your missionary in Idaho. And we appreciate that very much. And I uh, want you to know that... Uh, that we want, we are looking forward to co-laboring with you. I write letters as often as I can, usually three months. Uh, sometimes I get a little behind. COVID kind of put me back, uh, but we'll try to keep you in letters and let you know what's going on. And your pastor can call me at any time and uh, and do that. Now I'm gonna say this: We'd love to have you come visit. Anytime you'd like to come visit, we'd love to do that. You know that God gave us a great commission. And that great commission, he told us to go uh, throughout the whole world. Now, that includes the United States of America. A lot of people think we have to go overseas to be in the mission field, but we got, we've got areas right here in this country that are forsaken with the gospel. Amen? He told us to do that. Now, the problem, and here's the other reason that I'm there, the problem with the West is a lot of uh, young men will get the idea they want to come there, and, and preach the gospel, and they think it's like it is here. And that they'll build a church really fast, and they'll have a, a big congregation, and that, that'll be, but that's not the way it works. And uh, to give you an example, above us, the next church is eight hours away. Below us, it's an hour, and then from there, it's five, six hours. 
And so we, we don't have a lot of fellowship. We got some, but we don't have a lot. If we have fellowship, we only in Idaho can you say, well, he only lives five hours from me. <laughs> and so we'll, we'll make efforts to go fellowship with each other. The Indian reservation I preached at was six hours away. So, I mean, we, we try to meet with each other when we can, but we don't have that. So a young man comes out, and usually I'll pull somebody up here. He comes out, he thinks he's, you know, he can do it better than everybody that's ever tried. And he comes out there, and he don't have any fellowship. He gets depressed. His wife gets depressed. Winter times out there are very ugly. We have what is called a winter, uh, uh, an inversion. Anybody ever been, don't know, even know what an inversion is? I didn't until I moved there. The sky turns upside down. It gets smoggy, foggy, and stinky. And it stays that way all, all winter. And so it's easy to get depressed out there, especially if you're out there by yourself and don't have any fellowship. So what happens is he'll stay a year or two and then he quits. Well, guess what happens to the church he's trying to plant? It goes away. All right. Next guy comes to that same town. They say, well, that last guy that was here, he didn't make it. So we're just going to wait and see. So you can't even get people to come. You literally can't get people to come to the services. And so we're trying to stop that by being in fellowship with those fellows, being account, let, letting, him, letting, letting ourselves be his accountability. If he gets depressed, we run down there and we take him to a Mexican restaurant and cheer him up, give him some sermon outlines, uh, Joe Bryant, and then we'll, we'll uh, send him on his way. And try to rescue that. Now, if he ends up leaving anyway, guess what happens to that church? We're there. So we run in there and we rest. We keep that church going. And so that's the problem that's out there. Is it's, it, just, it just goes away. And so it's our desire not to do that. Amen? Now, there's a way to plant a church. Only one way. Amen. Found right here. Right. Amen? Acts 13 tells us that those men were sent out of a church, Antioch. Amen? Churches beget churches. Amen? People going out there and cowboying it and renegading it will lose that church. Or that church will become an apostate church, and it's an illegitimate church. With us... We're making sure that they are planted out of another church. Our church is all in on planting churches. If you have a young man that wants to come out there, amen? Is that your son over there? No, oh, you got all daughters. You, you don't have to worry. Then. Well, you will someday. You got to have son-in-laws. And, uh, and so some young man wants to come out there from this church. And you say, I'm all for that. We will plant the church along with you. But you'll have an accountability out there with me. Amen. You'll still be his pastor, but I'll be your accountability to watch after him. And so that's what we're trying to do out there is keep it where it's actual church planning out of another church. Amen. Shubal Stearns. Anybody know who Shubal Stearns is? Nobody knows who Shubal Stearns is? Don't feel, don't feel bad. Nobody does. How many ever heard of D.L. Moody? Never planted a church. How many of y'all know Billy Sunday? Never planted a church. And neither one of those were Baptists, by the way. Okay? Uh, you've heard of those guys. 
but you haven't heard of Shubal Stearns. There was a man that came through named Whitfield, George Whitfield. George Whitfield was not Baptist. He, he was Church of England, but the man preached the gospel. He would go and thousands of people would gather in fields to hear him preach, you must be born again. People got saved under him. But the funny thing is, when they got saved, they became Baptist, which made him say, all my chickens have become ducks. George Whitfield tried to preach in North Carolina, and they ran him out. He stood on the edge of North Carolina, and he prayed this prayer. Lord, that thou wast send John the Baptist to North Carolina. He goes to Connecticut, preaches in a field, and a little short preacher named, well, a little short man named Shubal Stearns gets born again. Shubal Stearns was called to preach. Shubal Stearns gets with another preacher, a Baptist preacher, and he is shown in the Bible why he should be a Baptist. And he becomes a Baptist preacher. He goes down to Virginia with 12 people, tries to plant a church in Virginia, and they run him out. But he gets a letter from North Carolina that says, come down here and help us. And he hears the Macedonian call. And he goes down and he sets up a little work called Sandy Creek Baptist Church. And out of Sandy Creek Baptist Church, starting in 1755 with, with 12 people, more than 500 churches were planted out of that little church. That's the model. That's the model from Acts 13. That's the model through Shubal Stearns and our Baptist history. That's what we're trying to do out there. So thank you for supporting that, helping us with that work. Amen. If you want to come to Idaho, come on. We got, we got rainbow trout that big. Uh, we've, we've got elk. We've got anything you want to look at out there. We can drive you through an elk herd. I mean, it's a beautiful place. Uh, we don't have all these pesky trees to keep us from seeing the mountains. Uh, we we get, we just got uh, we live in the desert and it is hot in the summer and cold in the winter, and uh, but it's a wonderful place to live. Most of the time it's like springtime all the time, and so just a wonderful place. We'd love to have you visit uh, if you'd like to. Churches are coming out this June. We got a Catoosa uh, Baptist Church is coming uh, with 15 people, and then Little Ivy Baptist Church, Pastor Scott Dotson's coming in July with 46 people. And so you want to take a church trip, come out, help us knock doors and, and uh, vacation Bible school, whatever it is you would like to do, we'd love to have you. And we'll take you and show you some pretty things while you're there. Amen? And so uh, thank you again for doing that. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 20 and we'll try to preach a few minutes. What God has placed upon our heart, John chapter 20. All right, look at verse number 19. We can all stand if you can. I always say if you can because I can't hardly stand anymore. Bible says, then the same day at evening. The same day as what? The resurrection. 
The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the liberty that we've had. Thank you for the great Sunday school hour. Thank you for this great church that loves the Lord and loves the work. And I pray, God, that you would help us now as we gather together. We pray that you would save some soul today or help someone get a burden uh, for someone else. And I pray, God, that revival would uh, consume this church and, uh, and overtake this church. God, that they are so consumed with you uh, that they can't see anything else. And I pray, God, that you'd help us. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. Here we have a wonderful picture in that Jesus had just been arrested, crucified, right in their sight. Now, these people that are gathered in this room are not lost people. These are saved people. In this room you have Peter, James, and John, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. They're all in this room together. And the Bible says that they're gathered there for fear of the Jews. This was not, this has been preached so many times, this will make you throw your sermon outlines away. This was not a church service. This was a prayer meeting for fear of the Jews. What they were doing is they gathered themselves. Now I don't imagine uh, that these men, women uh, gathered there and left their children at home. Do you? I think their whole families were there. I think they were afraid that the Jews were going to do to them what they had done to Christ. And so they gathered in this room for fear of the Jews. And locked the door. The Bible says the door was shut. That word shut, if you look it up, is bolted, secured. They locked that door, okay? Now they knew that Roman soldiers could come in the door whether they locked it or not. So I imagine that as they were there, they were watching that door. Wondering at what time were they going to be arrested? What time were they going to be crucified, their families killed. They were in a great storm. Amen? A great storm. This was the storm of their life. I'm going to tell you something. Even though we're Christians and even though we're saved, born again, we're going to face storms. Storms will come. Life uh, is not what they claim on television. Uh, These yahoos that are making all this money and 
begging you for money. They're not realistic. God lets us suffer. Let's us go through trials. The testing of our faith will come. And these people were there. Amen? I like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10. And we would all agree that Paul suffered as well. He said that I may know him. How many of y'all believe that Paul was saved when he wrote that? Amen. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We're about to experience in John chapter 20 the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we find this group of people gathered together with their families, and they're keeping a watch on the door and praying and asking God to help them. Now Christ is resurrected. You remember that? He had resurrected earlier that day. Bible says that most of them forsook him while he was on the cross. Didn't even see that he resurrected. Amen? A few did. He showed himself to 11 appearances we have uh, given to us in the Bible that Christ appeared. This is one of them. Okay, so now they're praying. They're asking God to help them. And they're there with their families. Okay? The Bible says that while they were there and while they were in fear for their lives, that Jesus came and stood in their midst. Now, how did he get in there? (laughs) The power of his resurrection. He walked right through the door. He ended up inside... While they were trying to keep people outside, he ended up inside in their storm. Amen? You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20, Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Listen, that's not talking about a church service either, by the way. That's talking about prayer. Prayer. If two will agree as touching anything. That word agree is the same word that we use for symphony. The concert of prayer. If we come agreeing with each other. I noticed the preacher picked up his guitar. I've played one of those in my life a few times. He picked up his guitar and he automatically went to those little keys up there. You know why? It wasn't in tune. He didn't want to play it if it wasn't in tune. Amen. One of my pet peeves as a pastor is we had... Goodness gracious, at New Hope we had banjos and mandolins and pianos and I mean everything. And then people wouldn't halfway tune them things and I'd get up. You've got to stop and tune them instruments. <laughs> we can't come to church or gather together and pray if we're out of tune. Right. We can, but it don't sound good. 
And if it don't sound good to us, it sure don't sound good to God. So these people were in tune. And they're gathered together, and while they're in tune, he makes an appearance. And he shows up in their midst. Now, I'll ask you this question. What, what did they find behind the door with Jesus? There are some things we can find behind the door with Jesus every time. And it's all right here in the scripture. So we'll look at that for just a minute. Amen. The very first thing they found is found in verse number 19. Look there with me. The Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The first thing they found was peace. Isn't it wonderful that Christ wants to bring us peace in our storm? There are storms that I've faced that you haven't faced. I had a brother to take his own life. Not everybody's had that. There's storms you've faced that I haven't faced. But my Bible tells me there's no storm that I'll face that Jesus cannot bring peace into. Amen. Peace. If they ever needed peace, it was now. For fear of the Jews, shaking and trembling, worried about their families, worried about their life, they needed peace. And the first thing he brought them was peace. Can I say something to you? Nobody knows what we need but Christ. And he knows how to deliver what we need, and that's in Christ. How many of you have ever faced something that you didn't think you could get through? All of us have. We did not think we could get through. I laid in that hospital for four days thinking they're going to put a tube down my throat and I won't make it out of here. My wife didn't get to say goodbye to me. They rushed her off somewhere else, took me into the hospital room and thought, well, I may not make it out of here, but I'm telling you, Christ brought peace into that little room. Now, they had a shut-in peace. They weren't in peace until Christ came in the room. Amen. But when he came in the room, they suddenly realized, hey, he's in here. They're out there and he's in here and that brings peace. And I'm going to tell you something. The day I got saved, Christ moved in. Yes. Amen. And he has never moved out. And immediately I get peace in my storm. Shut in. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Shut in peace. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let Let us consider one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Great peace comes from that. Isn't it amazing when you find Uh, People in trouble, they run from church, run from the Lord, run from the peace of God. Peace. Then there's a shut out peace. We realize the enemy's outside. 
I'm going to tell you something. If they couldn't even crucify the Lord, how can they defeat Him? If they couldn't keep Him dead, He rose again from the dead. He's, he's in their presence as a resurrected Savior and he's, and he's telling them, hey, they're out there, I'm in here. And that brings me great peace. I know this, I know the devil can't kill me, the enemy can't kill me, COVID can't kill me, nothing can kill me until God's ready for me to be dead. Amen. And when I die, I'm going to immediately be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. And that brings peace. Amen? There's someone standing between me and the storm. Now, now get this, before he came in the room, what were they looking at? That door. But, the, but I believe this, I believe he stood between the door and them. And I believe as they looked up, they said, hey, we don't even notice the door anymore. There stands our Jesus. Amen. Between us and the storm. Listen, he's our habitation. He's our tabernacle. He's our, he's our relationship between us and God. And he brings peace to the believer. He brings peace. Amen. How many times in the Bible did Jesus said, Peace be still. Let not your hearts be troubled. <laughs> you don't have to. Brother Joe Bryant preaches a message on that. Let not your hearts be troubled. You don't have to worry about a place to go. He said, I'm building a place for you. He stood there between them and the door and said, You don't have to worry about the enemy. I'm standing right here. There's no force or weapon that can overtake him. devil can't push him off the throne. That ought to make a Baptist say whoopee. And then he suddenly becomes the centerpiece of the room. Has he ever done that for you? Amen. I mean, we're, we're awful bad to get focused on the wrong things. This world's upside down. People are crazy. But you know what? They're just being lost people. Yes, we're saved. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we got something that they don't have. Amen. And, and instead of worrying about them overtaking us, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Yes. Occupy is a military term, which yes. means take over. How do we take over? We take, we, take, uh, we take that little portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ into this dark, dying world, and we preach the gospel. Peace. Then there's a setting down peace. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been worried about something? I mean, really worried about it? What do you do? You can't sit down. You walk back and forth and you wring your hands and you, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how you're going to handle it. Especially men, we're good at that. We, we think we can grab the bull by the horns and handle anything. But when something comes in our life where we don't know what to do, we just go berserk. But when peace comes, we sit down. I imagine every one of the men in this room said, oh, There's Christ. He just brought peace into my heart. Maybe somebody here today going through something you never have went through before in your life. I'm going to tell you something. See him. He'll bring peace. Amen. Let him come in. 
and bring peace. You know those two angels that were sitting in the tomb? (laughs) They weren't walking back and forth and wringing their hands. They were sitting in the tomb. You know Mary Magdalene when she went out? You know what? I almost preached this this morning. Mary Magdalene, why why did Christ show himself to her first? First. She was the first one. She loved him. She loved him in his life. The Bible says she ministered to him of her substance. She loved him in his death. Brought spices to anoint him. She loved him in his resurrection. She went down to the tomb and looked in. Now brother, you go down to the graveyard. A woman in a graveyard by herself. And you look in the tomb and there's an angel sitting on both ends. Do you not think that will amaze you just a little bit? But you know what she did? She said, where's Jesus? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a bit more enamored with you. I want to know where Jesus is. And the Bible says she turned away from looking at them. Looking for Jesus. Why? He brings peace. Mm-hmm. He brings peace. Number two. Look in verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Not only does he bring a peace, but he brings a perception. Nothing will satisfy our hearts like getting a fresh glimpse of the Lord. Nothing will bring us out of trouble like getting a fresh glimpse of the Lord. Amen. He didn't send a note. He didn't slip a note under the door. He didn't send an angel to tell him. He showed up personally. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the resurrection appearings, the infallible proofs that Jesus appeared to the man, he appeared to Peter one time that we know nothing about. Other than it says he appeared unto Simon. Simon was sideways with the Lord, out of fellowship. You know what Jesus did? He appeared unto him personally. What he said, we don't know. But it was to let him know that he now has an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. Though you were sideways, you could be made right. New perspective. Look unto me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we get a new perspective. Amen? He showed up in the room. Uh, uh, you, you remember when Israel was led through, uh, through the Red Sea on the other side? The Bible says they were looking for water. They came across a place called Mara. The word Mara means bitter. The water was bitter. Do you know what the Bible says about that time? Exodus chapter 15, verse number 25. Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. He looked over and saw a tree, a new perspective. He threw that tree in the water, and the water became sweet. 
You know what the Lord tries to do with us when we get sideways and get out of step and we get to look at the wrong things? He tries to take us back to Calvary. He tries to show us Himself. It's not, listen, what, what is there about a gruesome murder on a cross that attracts people? He said, if I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men into me. What's the draw? What's the attraction to Calvary? It's Christ. It's the person. Not the passion, it's the person. It's the relationship that we have with Him. And God let Jesus walk in that room and say, look unto me. What did He show them? Preachers already said this. He showed them the great cost. The great cost. Do you know what it, brother, is it Shane? Uh, do you know, you know what you're made out of? You know what the Bible says you're made out of? Dirt. What's dirt worth? I mean, not dirt you haul in in a truck, it's worth a lot. But just dirt that you can go pick up out of the ground. One, one guy said, I don't know how he figured this out, but he says about $2.58. Okay, so that's at least what you're worth. Christ gave his life's blood for you. To you, he was worth a whole lot. You were, to him, he was worth a whole lot more than dirt. Your soul meant something to him. And he died for us. Listen, I, I don't know you, and I'm not being fussy or anything. But how dare we get cold and indifferent? On a Christ that saved our wretched souls. The cost. He showed them his scars. He showed them his side. And he said, this is what it cost to save you. And if I paid this and I rose again the third day, I won't forsake you now. The day he saved me, May 9th, 1992, I went through trouble, I went through trials, I went through hard times, but he has never forsaken Amen. me. I, I heard about a preacher, his little baby was dying in the hospital, and they couldn't do anything for him, and doctors had give up. He told his wife, he said, honey, I've got to take a walk. They had already told him his wife, his child to be dead in the morning. He walked down a long hall at the hospital. And he said, about that time, I felt the Holy Ghost hug me up real close and said, it's going to be okay. And he said, my son survived and lived. And God did not forsake me. God loves us. Shows us the great cost he paid for. He showed him his power. He said, I can walk through that door. <laughs> I can walk right in the midst of your trouble. I can stop your trouble. None of them died that day, did they? Some of them died for the cause, but they didn't die that day. And he said, I'll show you my power. If I can raise from the dead, I can help you in your trouble. He also showed him his great love. Let me give you something. 
If Christ was wanting to showboat, he could have went and showed himself to the high priest. Could he not? He could have stood up in that temple and said, look, I rose from the dead. He could have went to Caiaphas' house. He could have went to Pilate's house. But you know where he went? To that little band of people that loved him and cared for him. And he said, I want you to know I love you. I'm going to help you. He doesn't go around the hedge to help us. He goes directly to us. It shows us that he loves us. Does anybody here feel like God doesn't love you? I promise you, he loves you. Christ loves you. Christ gave himself for you. And you need to get a different perspective on the life. Stop focusing on what's wrong and start looking at what's right. And it's him. Number three, he gives us a plan. Look in verse number 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. I know, I know how this works because I've either done it or I've pastored a church that done it. People look at missionaries that come like myself and say, Well, we got a missionary in our presence. Boy, we got a, or they say, Oh no, here comes another missionary. But they look at missionaries as somebody different. But you are the missionary. Amen. He didn't say, send I Peter. He didn't say, send I Peter, James, and John. He looked at the whole crowd and say, send I you. On the day of Pentecost, which I believe when the church started, you can believe whatever you want. You'd be wrong if you want to. Christ had to take his headship for him to have a church or a body. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God when he, res- when he ascended back up into heaven and the Holy Spirit came down and dwelt in the believers. But I believe this. I believe on the day of Pentecost what happened. Not only did Peter preach, but every one of them went into that crowd and began to testify about Christ. We're all missionaries. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But who do you have on your heart? Who's on your heart? We've got a little girl, our little piano player just got saved. Well, she's not little, but anyway, the piano player just got saved. She's got a friend who's a Mormon, which we deal with a lot out there. Mormons are not saved, by the way. Mormons are not part of the church. They're not born-again believers. They're lost. They're a cult. This little girl's a Mormon. Piano player's been dealing with her for years. Finally, she came out of the Mormon church. She's still not saved. But she came out of the Mormon church. She's got her to come to church a couple of times. But she texted me the other day while I was here. She said, for the first time, I read her the scriptures. And she looked at me through tears and said, I get it. I understand what you're trying to tell me. Finally, I understand it. You know why that happened? That piano player had Anna on her heart. 
And she didn't stop. She just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. We're the ones in the mission field. Here's how good Baptists do. Here's how good Baptists do. They look around the church and they say, boy, if that preacher don't start getting people in here, we're going to die. He's not the one that's supposed to get them in here. You are. I'm going to jump around. I have to. I'm already here. Let me ask you something. What would happen in this church? Now, I'm not saying you're a bad church. I think you're a good church. I think our focus gets off in every church. The church I pastor, all of us. What would happen in this church if each person here got someone on your heart and you didn't leave them alone until they came at least to one service? What do you think would happen? How many people's here? 25, 30? Let's say 30. That means 60. Okay? 60 people in the building. I got to come down. I'm sorry. Listen. Let's say, let's say, Brother Shane, you've got a pond on your property. I don't know if you do or not, but let's say you got one on there. Let's say in the last 10 years you haven't saw a fish jump in that pond. You've sat down there for days and not caught anything. And about five years ago, you gave up on it. Right? You just don't even go fishing. Preacher drives by one day and he saw a fish jump. He comes to your house and he said, he says, Brother Shane, I saw a fish jump in your pond. You know what you're going to do? You say, Preacher, I'm busy. I got to go. And you go get your fishing pole and you go down to the pond and you start putting a worm in the water. Why? There's hope. This preacher comes here every service. And, and I done heard him. He preaches his guts out like the house is full. But it's the same people. Okay? That's not to say anybody here can't get saved. But it's the same people. He didn't pay me to say this. You, you may fire me after I leave, but that's okay. But he comes and does it every week. All right? What would it be? What would it be next week, sister, if you've got... You met a family that just moved in. And you went over and you asked them, would you come down here, my little preacher preach? Oh, he just preaches his heart out. And he's a good preacher. He loves the Lord. And they come. And you go up to the preacher and say, that's the Smith family. They just moved in. And they're not saved. He's going to put a worm in the water. With some hope. A fish just jumped. He's going to see it. And he's going to say, hey, we'll preach the gospel this morning and one of the Smith family or all the Smith family might come and get saved. And then Shane invites a family and then you invite a family and you invite a family. And pretty full, pretty soon, we're looking for chairs. We're so consumed with God and what He's called us to do that revival has struck our church. And we're bringing people. I'm going to tell you something. I've been guilty of it. Before I left New Hope, preacher came in and preached to us. I mean, he, 
It was blood and guts. And he said this, why don't you have somebody on your heart? And immediately, God put a little young man that had been coming to our church. I realized I'd not been to see him. And God put him on my heart. And I immediately went to the altar. Monday, I went to that man's house. I sat in his living room. And his little boy brought the biggest Bible I ever seen, laid it in my lap. And he said, can you tell me how to get saved? I said, yes, sir, I can. I showed him. And he said, there's too many people here right now. He said, but I'm going to read that. And and he came on Tuesday night (laughs) with a house full of people and got saved. His daddy saw it. Okay? His daddy saw it. Wednesday night, his daddy came and he got saved. You know why? Somebody got him on their heart. I've saw it, I've, I've seen it happen with myself when I get where I'm supposed to be in focus with God and let Him send me. He'll send me right around my house and I'll see people get saved because I have them on my heart. They might not get saved this week or next week or six months from now. But if you get them around, you know what people say? You can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink. You get them around the salt block, they will. They go to licking on that salt block, they will drink. The Bible says we're the salt of the earth. We have the truth in us. Amen. And if we take the truth to the world, they'll see it and come. Amen? That's how I got saved. That's how you got saved. Somebody told you the truth. It might have been mama, daddy, mama, papa. Somebody told you about Jesus. Might have been the preacher, might have been the local church. It was somebody that told you about the Lord. Then there's power. Verse 22 and 23, he talks about, now this has nothing to do with them saving people, but they have the message that will save people. When it talks about remitting sin and retaining uh, sin, things like that. The Bible's talking about they have the power in the message. The Holy Ghost will take the message and people will be saved. Amen? The victor has his way in the victim. Then, lastly, and I'll close here, the Bible says there's a practice. Look, Look in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. You ever, you ever get in a really, really good service and go out and tell somebody what wasn't there? Boy, we saw the Lord tonight. Makes them want to come next time. But he said unto them, Except I shall see the hands in his hands, the print of the nails, put my fingers into the print of the nails, thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them, and then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Now, I'm going to say this about Thomas. He gets a bad rap sometimes. I don't believe that Thomas was altogether... First of all, it wasn't a church service. I don't believe that he was... Skipping church like some preachers preach. 
I don't think he was scared. You remember, you remember when they told him that Lazarus was dead? It was Thomas that looked at the Lord and said, well, let's just go die with him. I don't, I don't think he was scared. Now, Thomas had problems. He did doubt. Thomas had problems with unity. We could preach about that. But once Thomas saw the Lord, he got right with him. My Lord and my God. Listen to me. And Thomas, after the Lord ascended back into heaven, went to India and turned India upside down for the gospel. Did you know that? And died a martyr's death serving the Lord. We can talk about it. But God said, don't just be a hearer. Be a doer. Practice it. Practice. Preachers already said this morning, people see you not faithful, they're not going to be interested in what you've got. People don't see you excited about... How many of y'all want a a vacuum cleaner salesman to come to your door and say, would you please buy this piece of junk? They they don't do that. They tell you how it can pick up six concrete blocks at one time. We've got the greatest thing that ever happened to this world in our hearts. Why can't we go to somebody and say, I know somebody that can change your life. He changed mine. He took an old long-haired, hippie, rock and roll idiot and made a preacher out of it. I didn't even read a book until I got saved. I would pick reports to do in school that I could watch the movie. Not knowing that the book was usually different, but I I didn't care. That's what I did. I didn't like to read. But God saved me. Preacher put a Bible in my hand. Showed me how wonderful it was. And all of a sudden I began to read about God. He can change lives. You know what we do? We, we, we fuss about that old guy that's beating his wife and drinking and instead of giving him the gospel. We don't think he deserves the gospel. Or we fuss about them little mean kids that throw rocks at our house instead of giving them the gospel. They deserve the gospel. And without our practice, they won't get it. You may be the only person standing between someone and hell. My pastor, Eddie Davis, when he was Working a job still. He's driving a truck. Went in one evening and the mechanic was there. Obviously a lost man. They got to talking about his truck and what it needed. And the Holy Spirit told Brother Eddie to invite him to that evening's service. And he got involved in that truck and didn't invite him. Came to work the next morning. And that man died in a car wreck on the way home. 
And he realized, if the Holy Spirit tells you to tell somebody, you better tell them. Because you may not ever get another opportunity to put into practice what this Bible says we should be doing. This church can be running over shortly if we get consumed with God and the work there is to do and be busy about How many of y'all have ever read Colossians chapter 1? Read, read that with me. Look, Colossians chapter 1. This is a prayer that Paul prayed. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. And I'll be done. Amen. For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Not not filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and rolling around on the ground, but filled with the knowledge of of his will. What is the will of God? That none perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is the will of God for every lost man to be saved? What is the will of God for the church to thrive and be busy about his business? Practice. We put it into practice. I've heard I've heard little elderly ladies say, I can't, I can't do it, I can't get out, I can't go. When I was a young preacher, we was at the nursing home in Harriman. There was a lady in there named Mary Brock. Mary Brock had crippling arthritis. That's what her hands looked like. You can ask my wife, she's sitting there. Mary Brock would reach over one of them claws and pick up a track, and she'd watch that door. Somebody came by her room, she said, Hey! Come here a minute, I got something to give you. And she'd give them the gospel. Now, if Mary Brock can do that, why can't we do that? Why can't we call somebody on the phone? Why can't we go to their house? Why can't we weep on their doorstep? Why can't we get a burden for lost people? I'm going to turn this over to you, Pastor, but I'm going to say this. Do you have somebody on your heart? The Bible says, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is what? So if we don't have somebody on our hearts, we ought to come to this altar like I did that night and say, Lord, I'm, that's awful. Put somebody on my heart. And when that person gets saved, put somebody else on my heart that I'll consistently go after sinners in hopes that they might get saved. We got a man in our, that comes to our church. His name is Mike Chose. He's a great big six foot five bear of a man. He, he, he entered into an easy believism salvation. 
Or he repeated some words after somebody. Friend, that's not salvation. It's evident in his life he's not saved. But he just don't see it. I take that man to breakfast every opportunity I can. And sit across from him and give him the gospel as many opportunities as I can. And I've got him on my heart. And I don't ever lose somebody being there that I can tell the gospel to that they might get saved. You know what can happen today? You can make your way up to this altar and you can say, Lord, put somebody in my heart that I can get to the church house, they can hear the gospel and get saved. Would you do that? While he gives the invitation, would you just move up here and say, Lord, let that be me. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where I'd start. But if you'll give, you'll give me the person, I'll go after them. I'll call them. I'll go to their house. And I'll make every attempt I can to see them get saved. Brother Shane said this morning, you can get them to the church house, but you can't make them get saved. But buddy, if you get them to the church house, they can hear the gospel and have the opportunity to be saved. Now, I don't know if your pastor can do anything with what I said, but he can give an invitation today for you to start practicing what you find behind the door with Jesus, that he is sending you into the field. You know what he said? Harvest is plenteous. It's the laborers that's few. It's the laborers. It's the labor force that's us. Why don't we get busy? See God do great things right here at Mount Tabor. You don't have to go to Idaho. You can go right here at Mount Tabor. Maryville's a big place. See people get saved. Amen. thing that stuck out to me a great deal as the preacher was preaching out of John chapter number 20 was they were fearful that they might perish. The Bible said in the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, they were living in fear because of what they had seen happen to Jesus. But I could not help but think about the book of Philippians, what Paul said to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter number 1 and verse number 20 where he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. This was a man that had killed Christians for their belief says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. The preacher was talking about laboring. The field is wide unto harvest. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Paul said, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For am I, I'm in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And I think constantly about James chapter number 5, 
when, when James was writing to the born-again Jew that they were to be patient. I understand we're looking for the Lord to come. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But we have a work to do here. There's something that we need to be doing. Jesus, he, he was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. These, these in John chapter number uh, 20 and verse number 19 were concerned about where they stood. They were fearful of what could happen to them. But Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Sometimes we look at, at what's going on in our life and we fail to realize there's a lost and right. a dying world on their way to devil's hell that's going to suffer an eternity in damnation because they're born with an Adamic flesh on their way to hell. And you and I have got something, friend, that this world doesn't have. And there is a void, friend, in the souls of men that only Christ can fill. And I thought about Nehemiah and how Nehemiah, you know, they went back to Jerusalem and they began to build the walls. And Nehemiah couldn't do it all on his own. But boy, it sure started with a burden. It was, he had a burden to see the walls built once again. And I, I wondered this morning, friend, how many of you have a burden? How many of you don't have a burden but need one? Friend, I'm going to be honest with you. When we consider, we have to consider what Christ done. Yes. We have to consider... While you're here and while you're saved and while you're on your way to heaven, how much sacrifice, how much effort, friend, was put into you being able to be born again? Who come to you, friend, and, and told you about your need for a Savior? Who spent countless nights praying for you, for you are where you are this morning because somebody had a burden for you? And friend, if we're going to see anything done in 2021, it's going to start with a burden for lost souls. Friend, we've seen a missionary come. We've had, we have missionaries all the time. We talk about missions. We talk about supporting missions. We talk about the effort that we need to get a lost and dying world, the gospel. But I wonder seriously how many of us this morning are going out day by day just living our everyday life with a burden for someone I know you can't do more than what you can do, but are you doing all that you can do? Are you doing all that you can do, friend? It's, it, it, we water, we, we, we sow, but it's God that gives the increase. He's waiting on us to do our part. The church, friend, the church is the avenue in which lost souls get the gospel and see their need for a Savior. He's expecting the church to do something. Friend, you make up this body. You make up this local assembly. What are you doing, friend, to get the lost and dying world the gospel that they might see their need for a Savior? If you need to come this morning, you come while she plays. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you need to come, you come. Paul said, how I kept back nothing. It's profitable unto you and has showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. You know, a man that was willing to give his whole entire being to killing Christians, when he got saved and born again, he gave his whole entire life for the cause of Christ. Friend, this matter of, of part-time Christianity, that's a joke today, friend. You're either all in or you're all out. You're either yielding to the Lord or you're not, friend. If you need to come, you come.
Terry much longer while she plays. turn to page number 81 in the old red church hymnal page 81 if you need to come you come sing a few stanzas of 81 in Sunday school, I want, to, I want to mention it again. The cross is a burden that someone bears for the benefit of someone else. And oftentimes my mind goes back to, to the scriptures when Jesus was going up Golgotha headed to Calvary to be crucified there. And we know that he was brutally beaten, he was mocked, he was made fun of. And you'll find that, I believe it was Simon of Cyrene that was given the task as he was minding his own business that day. He was grabbed and made to help Jesus Christ carry that cross that Christ was going to be hung on. And I, I, my mind goes back many times to what Jesus said to his disciples that they were to take up their cross and follow him. Jesus had not been to the cross yet, but he knew that he would have to die on Calvary. And he knew that for his disciples to be true followers of him, we understand that they were called Christians first at, at Antioch. We understand that a Christian is to be Christ-like. You and I are to walk like Christ, talk like Christ, live like, but we're to have a burden like Christ. Where would you be this morning if Christ had not had a burden? Let me tell you something. He did not look forward to Calvary. He did not look forward to Calvary. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was, he was emotional. Uh, he was disturbed mentally because he understood the, the pain and the suffering that he would have to take. But he done it for you and for me. God loved us. He sent his only begotten son. Jesus loved us. He died for us. You can't explain that love and I can't explain that love. But I want to say this to you. We love because he first loved us. 
You can't define it. You can't explain it. But you have experienced it. I'm glad to have experienced the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, if you want to get anything done, friend, you're going to have to have a burden like Jesus Christ had. A burden. It's heavy. It's hard. Simon of Cyrene was placed under the burden of that cross as he went up Calvary with Jesus. But I want to say this to you. He only carried it so far, Brother Hicks. And then Jesus took it the rest of the way. And every hill is a hard climb. And there's going to be effort that has to be put in. It is labor. It is work. It is effort. But I'm glad there's a top of the hill. And I'm glad there's a place when Jesus says, I've got it from here. I'll take it where you can't take it. I'll do with it as you can't do with it. And friend, we can only do what we can do. But you do it, friend, trusting and believing that he can take it the rest of the way. Friend, do you have a burden this morning? Friend, get under a burden. Get under a load. Jesus Christ can take it and do with it, friend, what no one else can do. Third verse, and if you if you don't come now, we're not going we're not going to sing another one. You come if you need to come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise. Lord, we thank you for the message. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your man that's come this way to preach to us and for the effort, Lord, that is going into the ministry, Lord, in their life and in their place of service for you. Lord, we we thank you for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for your shed blood. Lord, we do know that the fields are wide unto harvest. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And Lord, I, I pray, Father, those that are working, Lord, for your glory and for your honor that souls might get saved. I pray, Lord, you'd bless them and what they're doing. And for those, Father, that are cold and complacent, lackadaisical, Father, I pray that you would get their attention, Lord, that we might do something while we still have an opportunity to do it. We do know, Lord, that for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. And we know one day, Father, we're going to see you come back for the church and it's all going to be over. And, Lord, I pray that while we have opportunity, Lord, we would take opportunity and do with this time that you've given us. We know that our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And, Lord, we just do what we do for our love for you and trust that you'll help us, Lord, to accomplish whatever it is that you have for each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Certainly appreciate that.